Welcome to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay, where we discuss growth strategies both for business and a personal perspective, discussing all kinds of businesses, growth strategies, technology, investment strategy, and much more. We are meeting with entrepreneurs, investors, app developers, and property developers. Our vision is to help 10,000 business owners grow their businesses. Introducing our host, Matt Lindsay. Matt is a former banker and corporate financier. He now spends his time building his own companies organically and through acquisition, as well as raising capital for other businesses. Matt works with a wide variety of entrepreneurs and investors. Welcome to The Growth Show. Today's guest is Mr. Mark Potter. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Yep, fine. Thank you, Matt. You? Very good. Thank you. Very good. So we are here to discuss some of the things that you've been up to. And we've known each other for three, maybe four years now. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, so we were introduced right. by a mutual friend of ours, Tim, who has uh, quite an extensive network of developers and investors. I think he met you at your, you used to be be the host of Birmingham PPN, is that right? No, Leamington PPN, but we actually met at uh, Nimbus Maps on their training day. Right, okay, okay, so. He was doing talk on um, on, um, his current venture at the time and we got talking. Okay, interesting, and then and then we've met up a few times. We we looked at a uh, business opportunity where we were going to try and encourage young people to go and find us plots of land, um, and then 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 that one got shelved. Um, but I think I think from my perspective, there's always something that I've seen that some kind of energy that you've got, and 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 that's obviously reflected in in your success to date. So yeah, what I wanted to do today, if that's okay with you, Mark, is to talk through how you've got to where you've got to, and you know you you you've 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 got some of the status symbols that accompany someone who has success, and we'll talk about those later later on as well. Um, but some good, some bad. Yes, yeah, 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 and and some war wounds as well along the way, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so first of all, just wanted to kind of get a bit of an understanding about your background, your childhood, you know, where you grew up you know, what your family life was like, all of that good stuff, because I think it's really important to put into context, you know, how you've gone through this journey and developed into the wonderful human being you are today. Thanks. So um, I suppose start right back at the beginning. My mother was uh, one of nine children uh, on a council estate. Right. And when there's nine kids, you end up being the out, you know, she, I think she's the, She's the second eldest, so I suppose she grew up fast looking after younger siblings and things. Um, and then she's always been a real, real grafter. So I suppose I've got my resilience and, and grafting from her. And okay. then she went on to start a business that grew from nothing, uh, mobile discos in the 80s. So, you know, what were they charging for them? Not a lot, very hard work, long hours to um, a national company refitting out the likes of Weatherspoons, pubs and things like that, doing the audiovisual stuff. Right, cool. So I've always been around somebody that's just gone and done stuff. Mm. Self-starter. Yeah, and just never had, she's never had any handouts or anything like that. She was just doing it. And I had no interest in... um, doing that because she owned it with uh, my father and right. he they split up he went off and did carried on that business and she started another one from scratch just there we go and that one's grown not quite to the multi-million pound level but that's on purpose because she's close to retirement age now right it gets a buy for what she does so yeah. it's that i suppose resilience I've learned from her, really. 
yeah okay and, and and in terms of your your school life what you know how, how did you you know what what are your memories of that are they fond memories are they you know, <laughs> difficult memories so, yeah i don't fit the school mode um model i'll be honest right. with you i mean anyone that's sat down with me for half an hour could guess that so i actually dropped out of school when i was 14. Oh, did you? Right, okay. And that was back in the days you could get away with that. I mean, you can't do that now. My mum would have got into all sorts of trouble if we started trying to do that now. Sure. Um, but yeah, I dropped out when I was 14, had enough. Just started um, doing my own thing. Never really had a job. Had all sorts of businesses in the background. Some good, some have made money, some bad, some have lost money. Um, but the important thing is just to keep going. That's yeah. what you've got to do. Yeah, Okay. And, and it's and, ironic because I send my children to private school now and some of my oldest friends are like, that's a bit hypocritical. You don't believe in school. I said, well, I've got to give them the best chance. They've got to have a chance to believe in it or not, haven't they? And yeah, that, that's interesting. I guess, are you looking at, at that in terms of giving them the kind of social network that potentially enables them to have, have advantages, if you like? Paying for their network is exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you, you've asked. I've told you. It's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. They're just pay, paying for the people that they get to hang around with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. Interesting. Yeah. Good. Some see that as wrong. Some see that as snobby. I see that as probably one of the fundamental things in growing a business is your network. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if you, you know, I I, I used to work with a lot of people who you know went went to you know some of the poshest private schools, in, including Eton. And, you know, their networks were incredible just because of the people they went to school with. And, you know, I had to work doubly hard in terms of my network and the people that I knew because I didn't know these people from from the start. So, yeah, you kind of got to fight your corner a little bit. But, yeah, yeah. I think that that can be can be quite an advantage. Can't it? Yeah, so. no, I agree. I agree. Sorry, I'm just going to message my missus now to tell her to shut the kids up. <laughs> Good. OK, so let's keep it real. <laughs> Let's keep it real. Yeah. There we go. Sorry, I'm back with you. I can all hear right. them. It's going to accelerate. We don't want them on here. That's all right. That's all right. So in, in terms of um, the, the kind of the first things that you did, so when you were 14, what kind of business did you set up then? And what buying, and selling, buying and selling cars. Really? Despite yeah, the fact that you cars. weren't allowed to drive? No, my mate used to drive them for me. Right, okay. Um, just little Peugeot 106s. Back in the day when... Um, we weren't so much of a throwaway car finance industry. And 17-year-olds yeah. would scoop through the local magazine and buy some old granny's car off their drive and stick out plates on it. I mean, you don't really see that this day and age. No. It's all £99 down, £99 a month, put fuel in it and off you go, which is probably better because those bloody old death traps that, that some people used to drive around in weren't the best, but... You know, so we're not that that industry doesn't really exist anymore. But that's what I was doing. I was buying and selling one hundred sixes from like insurance write off ones, fixing them back up, putting them on the road, sure. so on and so forth. And and was was that a success straight away, or how how did you kind of get the get the get that moving in the right direction? That was that was pretty good because you know you'd buy an entire Peugeot one hundred six like Quicksilver if you like. Some people might know what that is. Some people won't. Depends on your age. You, you'll know what that is now. <laughs> <laughs> and you could get it off the insurance company for a total loss at about 600 quid. Right. But back in the day, they were still seven, eight grand. Done. Yeah. So all of the people with the non-quicksilver ones, one of the quicksilver seats, so on and so forth. So if it was too far gone, you'd just strip it down and sell them the bits. Yeah. This is all kind of pre-eBay boom as well. eBay existed, but everyone still thought it was a scam. Yeah. And I think Vsauce was still just doing books out of his garage. Yeah. So there was no Amazon. There was, but not how it is now. Yeah. Okay. And and so on a on a car like that, you'd do it up a bit and then and if then it was, sell yeah, it on for a bit yeah. margin. Yeah, it depends if it was completely gone. It would yeah. just get broken for bits. If it was doable, we'd do it and sell it back out. And, and so were you doing that work in terms of the, the, the renovations or you, you just you no, paid we, somebody we, we to... No, we give it to a body shop or something like that. I'm no paint sprayer, I'm not going to lie. I was just out there buying them. Had a bit okay. of a workshop on a farm, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, okay. 
and and so from there you I, I would imagine you, you learn about cash flow you learn about how how businesses work in terms of making sure you've got money to you know buy your next next yeah. assets and yeah. grow, grow the pool of assets that you get control of and, yeah. and and most importantly making sure that you're getting paid along the way as well yeah well ironically enough what happened was the um we bought a, a recovery truck because it was pay paying a lot of money on transporting the cars about. Yeah. Um, and then actually, I ended up doing more recovery work than car braking because everyone needed it. Right, okay. I mean, now there's guys that will go Land's End to John O'Groats for about a tenner. I don't know how they're doing it, but back then, there wasn't so many. Sure. So yeah. yeah, we ended up we ended up just on the road most of the time, running around moving other people's cars about, which was actually a lot easier and probably made the same money. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it kind of naturally naturally evolved into something, um, mm. and and then then where where did you go from there? Because I know you've had multiple different types of businesses in completely yeah. non correlated sectors as well. Yeah, they really are. They really are. What did you do after the car thing? So. Um, I was importing pet products from China in right. containers like um, they're teaching you to do now, but I was doing that back in 2005. Okay. So that was nice. Yeah. Because that operated out of the same warehouse because you drop containers into the same warehouse, list the stuff on. This is when eBay started becoming a bit more of a thing. Yeah. List the pet products on eBay um and and away you went that made some quite nice money to be honest that was that was nice okay so with that to to explain to those who don't know about it you're basically identifying products that other people are already selling yeah, yeah. and then basically finding a manufacturer probably in china who, who mm -hmm. put puts together a container load of those you've obviously got to find the cash and you've got to take the risk of you buy a container load of 20,000 products or whatever it might be within the container. You've got to trust that the people that are, are manufacturing it for you are actually going to deliver it. There's always yeah. that risk that they don't. So you've Absolutely. got to find a, a trusted yeah. party. Then you've got to ship it over and then you've got to deal with all the importation, taxation and all that, all that good stuff. Then after all that, you get the product and then you've got to find a way of selling it all. Yeah. And this is when eBay was right at the beginning um and people were just starting to trust it especially at the level I, uh my my pet products were sort of 10 pounds i think the most expensive thing we had was 40 so i suppose oh. back then people were like we'll, we'll, we'll try it we'll yeah. try it and if we get scams we get scams yeah okay because that so was that was the kind of that was the kind of thinking behind ebay at the beginning weren't they oh it's full of scammers it's full of scammers you'll never get your product and it's full of scammers and then Obviously, they've grown into the two biggest platforms, that and Amazon, to buy stuff from online, especially Amazon. Amazon yeah. are just, yeah, well, yeah. And 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 in terms of that, that did you have? Because because now you've got all kind of kinds of software that bolt onto Amazon and to eBay, so you can actually track which products are selling really well which ones have got good margin etc cetera, etc cetera. and the problem the problem that you've got is that the chinese can actually ship directly to the uk now as well so so ob obviously what that means is that that kind of middleman role is is being eroded somewhat and and in fact amazon if they see a product that's really profitable they'll just make it themselves right that, that they tends, do, they do. tends to be they, what happens yeah but, they're but, a bit of a mafia like that yeah so but when you were doing this this is before all that stuff happened so could, could was was there a way of identifying a trend, or were you just literally taking a punt on this? This one looks good. I like the look of it. No, so it, eBay from the day dot had a bit of software called Terapeak. Right, it's a bit like the Jungle Scout for Amazon, right. and Terapeak gives you all of the analytics. Nothing like what it does now, because being a piece of software, it's completely evolved. Yeah, but back then it was enough to see what was what, and there was very little competition compared to what there is now yeah, so you okay. could get by with Terapeak in its early days and a bit of trust for china um and it was all right luckily touch wood we never got bitten with that right wow what happened was as you just touched upon the margin started going like this because china um started buying warehouses or renting warehouses over here and instead of 
shipping one container over. They would ship a warehouse full of stuff over. And then when people clicked buy it now, it looks like the product's in China, but it's not, you still get it next day. And that's massive now. That's wiping people out on a daily basis, I would say. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting how these market, I, I think quite often the first mover advantage in a market like that can be really powerful. But obviously, as as it matures and evolves, probably a bit like what we're seeing with kind of cryptocurrencies and that kind of thing, you know, the, the early stage of it, it's, you know, it's a cottage industry and gradually it becomes more institutionalized and yeah. you know, margins get eroded and stuff. So, yeah, it's that that's what's happened there, isn't it? Over the that is time. what happens with that. Yeah. I mean, I was buying certain products at six pound landed or you know that's that's what it owed in england and they were going out at like 35 40. wow that's good we were doing multiples of them a day there was times during that that we were regularly making four grand a week yeah that's good money probably one or two hours work a day just managing the orders in and out yeah okay no interesting you, you know like you said it these big companies will spot that and go, we'll have that. We'll have some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And Amazon are the worst for it. They are the worst. I know people whose entire businesses have just gone overnight because Amazon are like, no, we're going to do that now. And, and I guess that, I mean, the, my, my personal approach to these things with the businesses that I've, I've built and, you know, lots have failed and some, some have been successful or the ideas that I've, I've taken on is, I, I always look for a kind of multi-platform strategy. So you're not reliant on the Amazon or the eBay. You know, you want to yeah. be selling through multiple channels so that that gives yeah. you that diversification. So if we, yeah. Google changed their algorithm or Amazon changed their algorithm, you're not completely reliant on that one that one thing. Yeah, well, the trick is, I suppose, now um, what the people do, I could be wrong, but how I see it, because I'm not doing it anymore, is they'll be using ebay and amazon to get their name out there and then trying to direct people from that to their independent site yeah that's the way i see it at the minute i agree i I think what i see is more people kind of trying to create brands around products so that then you've got that kind of brand value thing and then and then people build that relationship with that so you know i i I know someone who who does foam rollers but she she's got this brand and you know she's got them in harrods and really really other good you know cool places and because of that you've got that kind of gravitas that's associated with it and it's you know perceived as a better quality product yeah even though it's coming out the same factory yeah yeah, but no, yeah, I, no I know what you mean. It's it, yeah, it's and that's that's the only way to do it. But that's not an overnight thing. That's well, that's going to take a few years at least, and a lot of lot of paperclip budget. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a longer it's not, t- long, longer term strategy. You you've got you've almost got to get into into a new sector. So like the electric scooters or whatever, you know, they're they're wow. they're now m- m- matured, aren't they? But if they you have, have gone. You should say that. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, no. it's quite relevant. So lockdown one. Yeah. I got really bored, really bored, and just started landing pallets of electric scooters over and firing them on my old eBay. Right. Doing about ten a day with right. seventy to hundred quid in each one. Well, nice. And that popped. That popped like a balloon after about three months. Right. But that was a nice in and out. Yeah. You know, that's why I was only doing pallets of it, not containers. Yeah. I just got bored. I got bored. All the agents were shut. I could only have one contractor on my site. So that was easy to manage. Are you there? Yeah, cool. Bye. You know, what do you do? You get tired of sitting in the hot tub all day. What are you going to do? You can't, he's not supposed to go out, even though we all were, you know. So I thought, I know, I'll, drop a pallet of electric scooters and fire them on and see what happens. Yeah. And then they flew out because I was, I was, I wasn't the first in by any stretch, but I think I was the first big independent. I didn't have a brand. I wasn't trying right. to push a brand. I was no. just in, out, in, out, firing them out. And my eBay was the old historic eBay. So you had so that had kind of, yeah, the recognition. Oodles of feedback. Yeah. Oodles of feedback, top rated seller, in and out, in and out. Interesting. So, so you've got you've gone through this 
kind of trader type approach where buying and selling lots of different products. And I guess part of that is, you know, you haven't actually said this, but it's finding the value, isn't it? It's identifying where there's a clear differential between something you can buy for a price and something you can sell for a price. So you did eBay. What next? What happened? But the interesting thing, just to wrap the scooter thing up. Of course, yeah. For anyone that's listening that's going to be interested in e-commerce, that lasted about three months. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, they take two weeks to come. You can't do that many before stuff pops. And you don't want to get big old brass balls on you and order a container. I'd be stuck with that now. And now they're retailing for what I was buying them for. Wow. And we're not even a year down the line. So yeah. you've got to be really careful. These are fast trends. Yeah. The, 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 one, the, 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 one, that I, the one that I saw during, during the lockdown as well, because I was looking at things like this, was the Theragun, which is an a, a, a impact massager. Um, and yeah. I, I, I was looking at, looking at potentially getting those. And you could, you could pick them up on eBay for 30 to 40 quid. If you created a brand with them, sell them for 150 you know, still cheaper than the Theragun, you know, give a warranty with it and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, now, now they sell, they're, they're literally selling for 40, 40 pounds. You know, there's, yeah. I saw them in Costco the other day. So it, it just shows you how quickly it can really shift against you. It's, it's, it's yeah. quite incredible. Yeah, you can, you can really, really fall out of bed doing the e-commerce stuff if you're going to follow that model. Mm. My, my recommendation is, and not the most successful people I know, but the most consistent people I know on, Amazon have built a brand and are are still building a brand and they're kind of they're not so much protected against trends but it's safeguarded certainly a couple of guys that I know in the states what they do is they um, get end of line manufactured products so basically when Apple releases a new iPhone they get last year's iPhones and then then sell those on you know and and, and that they get they get I mean they they do 40 million dollars a year you know they've got they've built a really good business so yeah yeah, easy I mean that model works look at Vista Village that's what they do exactly nothing new in Vista Village it's just outlet No. no exactly Exactly. Cool. So, so you, you you develop this this kind of should we call it hustle in terms of identifying potential opportunities. Where where did you go next from the from from the eBay stuff? From e-commerce, I went back to um, vehicles. Right. Not in the usual sense. I went back to military vehicles. Right. So tanks, jeeps. Right. And that sort of stuff. And that that built up two businesses, really, because we started doing army surplus and army gear on right. the eBay shop. Right, okay. We still had the eBay shop. I've never given that up, and I wouldn't give it up now. Sure. Um, to me, to sell to someone, it's not really worth anything. But for me, it's a nice safety blanket. And if I spot a trend, I would fire a, fire a pallet into it just... Because it's quite good fun. Yeah. So we went went into doing military vehicles, um, and that was good. That that was really good, to be fair. So that then went into uh, deactivated firearms. So right. we were doing in Land Rovers, jeeps, tanks, um, anything military, armored stuff. Um, you know, AK forty sevens, Uzis, all that stuff. But deactivated for collectors, um, and that was that was good. We did that for years that for years and we had we actually we actually at one point had the army surplus ebay shop touching 40k a month consistently wow and now, what, what kind of margin was on that next to nothing but it kind of it came with the vehicle stuff you're buying it from right. the same people so you right. might as well just buy loads of stuff you go in there anyway but I mean, some of that stuff was four pound and five pound. Yeah. And to get it turning over that, you know, after that forty grand, you're probably left with seven. That's but, still, still, still respectable margin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Considering eBay taking a bit, PayPal were taking their bit, um, and Postage, you know, all the rest of it, and all yeah. the rest of it. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Bear in mind, this is. When would this have been now? This is like pre two thousand and twelve as well. So seven grand back then's 
a lot more. Yeah. Okay. And then, and, and then you got you got into the firearms as well, didn't you? More more formally. Yeah. So what happened then was we took on a big warehouse, um, put all the vehicles in it, and was going on. And then I decided that I had enough of the stinky military stuff. I wanted to do the posher stuff. I wanted to do the shotguns and the tweed and all the rest of it. Okay. So I built a gun shop out of containers in the warehouse. Right. Okay. So I bought a load of shipping containers. One, two, three shipping containers. Cut, cut holes in them, welded them together, and hired them into the corner of the warehouse and created an airlock door and an ammo safe and got it signed off by firearms and opened a gun shop. Right, okay. So all safe and secure. Yeah, so so the, 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 the vehicles and the clothing, the military stuff, were still running out of the warehouse. Yeah. And then we had a gun shop. So, so effectively, by doing it that way, you were covering your overheads with the existing business, and then therefore the new business basically ran on the ran on the same rails. So you're not you're not creating a, a potential risk in terms of overhead there. So it's quite a smart way of starting something new. Yeah, and I mean, we were looking at the local businesses, the local gun shops, and they were sort of their yearly. Um, turnovers were sort of 180 grand to I think one of them was doing 300 grand and we were like well that's a nice ancillary business then sure. the trouble is with our one because we were quite good at it by pure chance uh, we did 1.3 million in the first year wow. <laughs> out okay. of those three containers wow so was that adver were you advertising online that or that was just a word of traditional word of mouth business? It was traditional word of mouth business. The only advertising we did were Facebook competitions. Right. Because you're not allowed to advertise guns and things like that on Facebook. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. <laughs> Even though we're fully licensed and everything like that, they just don't allow it. Sure. But they so we were running competitions to drive people to the uh, page and there was nothing they could do about that so we would say what was one of them we did we got a cool box and filled it full of shotgun shells i said guess how many shotgun shells are in it and win a uh, thousand cartridges right okay but the other thing we were doing was the thousand cartridges we were given away i was getting given to me from the manufacturers because i said i'm going to run this comp Sure. You you donate something to it and we'll do it. And then we got quite well known for running these comps. And, and I guess at the same time, all the people that are entering the competition, you're building your list, building your network of people, yeah. then you can effectively market, market to those people. It's, it's a great way of building, yeah. establish, you know, there's a bit of cost, which if you can get that covered by a manufacturer in some way, then obviously that barrier to entry is, yeah, it, it, it gets you some real traction, doesn't it? Yeah, so just to give you some idea... Um, and I can I could probably log into the old Facebook page and prove this if anyone doubts it. But that cartridge competition, seventy five thousand people entered that. Wow, wow, some big numbers. Just to win a thousand cartridges, which back then was two hundred quid. It's a decent prize, though, right? Yeah, no one else was doing it, and no one really had a fake. We again, by chance, look, not judgment. We, gun shops were very stuffy, full of old people, no Facebook pages and certainly no eBay shops. We were, mm -hmm. we were first in with, with the social media stuff on the gun shop. I mean, they're all doing it now. Sure. They are all doing it now, but I haven't had my gun shop for five years. Right. Uh, maybe five years, yeah. So they're all, they're, it's all caught on those YouTube channels. You know, it's good now. The, the shooting industry coming through are a lot younger. Yeah, and I, th I think part of that is it's kind of what I see that is across lots, lots of sectors is the kind of implementation of digitization. So yeah. you, you kind of find these these paths and yeah, the kind of the initial go getters set the trend and then sooner or later, you know, the others have to have to have to follow, don't they? Because if you've just got the traditional gun shop, you know, there's one down the road from me. You know, I, I don't know what their social media is like, and I, you know, it's not something the sector that I'm interested in. But if you know, 
you know, I, I would imagine that they're quite stuck in their ways. They've just got a load of people that go there because they know it. Whereas if you're a bit more aggressive in things, yeah. you can really build traction in a sector quite quickly, can't you? It can work really yeah, well. Yeah, because as anyone that does that knows, the more people doing it, the more expensive AdWords are. Yeah. yeah. Not many people are using the AdWords very well. And to be fair, we didn't really pay for much of our advertising anyway. The competitions really worked. Yeah. You know, there was still magazine advertising back then. And they were like, yeah, £600 for a page this month. We tried it a bit. And you get one, two, three calls a month from it. And you yeah. just think, there's 600 quid down the toilet. Why don't we just give away an air rifle that's 600 quid and watch mm -hmm. what happens? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And then obviously we got the manufacturers to supply the air rifles. So it ended up not costing us 600 quid. They loved it because they were attached to the campaign. Yeah. We loved it because it didn't cost us anything. And it brought loads of people in the shop. And everyone used to love coming in the shop because we used to have a laugh in the shop. And all yeah. the other gun shops are quite serious, you know, you know, firearms, this, that, and the other. You're like, well, yeah, we're not running around shooting each other. Why can't we have a laugh as well? Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. And and so that business that business went. So what happened? Was that was that bit yeah, of a that bit of a bad one? It was a bad one. It lost me loads of money. So I had um I can talk about it now because it's all finished. But right. so I had an investor slash business partner on that, uh, because it cost about six, seven hundred grand to stock it. Right, okay. And so I didn't a lot have of stock. That. Um, but I'd done the shop and done all the hard bits, had all the licenses and stuff. Sure. So they came on board kind of right at the beginning, but after the risk. I'd yeah. built the shop and I'd done all the alarm and I'd got all the licenses. So it was going to happen. Yeah. I just didn't have all of the money to completely stock it. So they came in, turned out to be a complete nightmare, turned out to be chronic alcoholic, actually. And we ended up liquidating that business. Such a shame. People still miss it now. Yeah. It's one of those, I think I ended up, what did I lose? Painful amount in the hundreds, thousands, not pounds. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So, so a lot of, a lot of the built up equity from all of the other stuff kind of went a little bit. But and, and and I think sometimes in life those moments can be the bit that can either define you or sink you, can't they? So yeah. how 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 did, how did you feel and how did you respond to that at that point in time? Well, <clears throat> without swearing, and in certain swear words where you think they're appropriate, I was annoyed, <laughs> very annoyed, because we built up this business with a massive fan following around the country because of how we were treating people that came in you know yeah. we had a car park i built a car park in the end massive car park so people could just pull in none of the other gun shops have car parks a lot of them do now because they've kind of cottoned on and gone on to industrial estates as opposed sure. to town center but yeah. at the time no one had no one had car parks so we put this car park in i put a free coffee machine in and we just liked people coming in yeah. People would come in and go, I'm not buying anything today, Mark. I'm just here for a coffee. And I'd think, yeah, well, that's what you think. Help yourself. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, oh, have, have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay. also what we did was we still had the eBay shop going. So right. we stopped the military stuff because I didn't have time to go around the country and, in fact, the world buying stuff because there's only so much you can buy in one country. So we were very often in Europe buying vehicles and things like that, um, right, myself okay. and Samantha. So that stopped. <clears throat> and we just did um, like country clothing on eBay. Yeah. And all the stuff in the shop. So we just became one, that whole warehouse became one big gun shop. Right, before right. it went, before we had to pop it. So do you, do you think potentially at that point you were probably slightly overexposed in terms of all, all your eggs in one basket? Yeah, really, because obviously I didn't expect a business partner to be such a knob. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say what I truly think of him, but everyone can imagine. Yeah. We built this business up and he was just, we voluntarily liquidated it as well. And then I got into a lot of trouble because I wasn't willing to shaft anybody. So before the liquidators took charge of everything, I paid everyone off, which left nothing. Right. So that's that, how I ended up losing that, a lot that, of money. That cost you a lot of money as opposed to 
yeah, you know, normally when people liquidate, it's the suppliers, manufacturers, and so on and so forth, and HMRC. No, that, yeah. no one got burnt but me and him. Yeah. I thought, if you're going to take this down, you're not taking everyone else down with you, I'll go down with it because it was my doing. Yeah. You know, I created the shop. I'm not going to sting anyone else. So everyone got paid, and then when the money ran out, we rang them and said, quickly, come and get your stuff. I got in so much trouble for that. But quickly right. get down to the shop now and come and get all your stuff. Yeah. Okay. And 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 in terms of, so so how 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 did you go around kind of because because I would imagine at that point in time that was your identity you know that you were known as the the guy that ran that business from from a kind of psychological perspective that's that's a difficult difficult hurdle to overcome what did, what did you do and how did how did you get around that? Well, the last day of it <laughs> was about the twenty second of December. Right. Okay. <laughs> so you just have a little bit of a Christmas, don't you? And then by January, uh, I picked myself back up again and just thought, yeah, I'll just go and do property now. I've had enough. I had a, a couple of a buy to let accidentally. Um, and then we refinanced that and refinanced the uh, family home and just went full time property. And that's what I've done ever since. Right. So that 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 was the kind of catalyst where you realised, right, I've got a start did did you have any children at the time or was that before your kids yeah, came two, no two two right, okay two. in private school right so you you got no income you, you got some, some serious responsibilities and some yeah. serious bills to pay so i guess cars belong to the company as well so i hadn't didn't have a car right okay no car couldn't move the kids around no yeah. car i had to buy it on 900 quid fiesta van yeah okay so so that that's quite a quite a tricky spot to get yourself out of. So yeah. you re released some equity from your couple of properties that you had. And then Luckily, that, that, that was the, the start of the, the property journey. Yeah. How did you, what, what was your kind of, to put that into context, you built, you know, a fairly substantial business that's pretty successful in that, right? It's probably fair to say. How do you go from- about now that shop. Sorry? Still talked about now that shop. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, no, no, but I meant on the property side as oh, right, well as yeah. the gun shot, gun side. Yeah. How how do you enter into a marketplace that, frankly, you know nothing about, right? You know, you you as you say, you're an incidental landlord. You you, you might have you know done a done a bit of construction work over the years with putting your putting your um, shipping containers together. How yeah. how did you go from knowing nothing about property to entering into it and then building building a successful business in that. What was the kind of steps? Because I think for, for lots of people, they see huge barriers to entry in terms of property because assets are really expensive to buy. So how do you, how do you go about that? And yeah, what, what, what would you advise somebody to do who's thinking about starting that property journey? Um, don't let that blockage that you just mentioned get in the way because it's a lot easier to start a property business than a gun shop. It was easy compared to the gun shop. You know, I wasn't yeah. dealing with the government anymore. I was speaking to the police two or three times a day, um, <clears throat> so on and so forth. So it's all mindset. It's all mindset. And then what happens is you Google property investing and then your inbox is full of shite until you unsubscribe. <laughs> three times from some companies, if not more, and you kind of got to filter all that through and not look at it as some fantasy overnight uh, get rich scheme and look at it as a business because that is what it is. Mm. You've got to run it the same way as you run everything else. It's got to cash flow. It's got to have reserves. You've got to be able to manage it. You know, instead of selling guns now, I was buying properties and managing them. So it's, 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 it's the same thing. You've still got those fundamentals in place. And and, and in terms, did you did you, you went did you go through a training process or how, how did you learn? I, got, I, I touched done a few of the free days and a few bits and pieces like that, and then ended up on a VIP program somewhere. Um, which I mean, don't do that. <laughs> it's my advice. <laughs> don't do that. Um, yeah, there's. It's a minefield out there if you want to get into property through the social media side of things. I think you're far better off taking a more sensible, start with your mind first. If you're going to go and do property investing, start with your mind because going into it now, 
you need the patience of a saint. You yeah. don't need the script and the formula and the how to speak to an estate agent. You need some strong patience. <laughs> yeah, but but at the same time, if you, if you I, I as, as you well know, I, I look for certain a certain a certain type of property deal, and they're hard to find. So you've got to sift through hundreds, if not thousands, to get those potential yeah. opportunities. Yeah. But when when you, when you get them, you know they can be very valuable, borderline life changing if you get them away. So therefore, from a from a psychological perspective, you've got to be in it for the long term, which is, is difficult. It? If if you're you know if you're looking for quick bucks, that isn't that isn't the right thing to be doing. But yeah. if you if you're interested in building a system and building a process that over a period of time you can shift into, so yeah. it becomes your business, then yeah. then in my opinion, that's that's the way to approach it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I started out doing uh, bicycles. Yeah. I just tried to collect as many of them as I could. And then as I did that, uh, with my own money, it ran out. So I started bringing investors on board. And, and to put it into context, because I know that the numbers are pretty, pretty strong. How many buy-to-lets did you do in that first year? Because it was 14. quite a lot. <laughs> Sorry, repeat that. Sorry, 14, I... one, four. 14 properties in a year. Buy-to-lets in Leamington. I've still got them. Wow. So that's that's a pretty substantial buy-to-let portfolio. I and had to do something. You had to do something. You had to replace, replace your cash flow from, from the business that you, you yeah. just lost some money in. Yeah. Um, so you started off with refinancing a couple of, couple of, couple of your own properties. Existing. Yeah, the family home. And then I, had, I bought a buy-to-let in 2008 because I got some um, inheritance from uh, my... Grandma passing away, I got twenty five thousand quid, and the caveat was it was had to go into a house. Okay. So I thought, mm, well, back then I wasn't quite as savvy and strong minded as I was now. So I thought, if I don't put that into a house, I'm going to end up breaking that promise. So back then, I just went and bought a house. Um, didn't know what I was doing, but accidentally bought one in a really good area that's ended up going up loads, and I bought it on the right mortgage. So that was a fluke. That was a complete fluke in two thousand and eight. Sure. I was sure. not a property investor in 2008. You'd marginally call me one now. <laughs> okay, and 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 so on the back of that, you you you've you've refinanced those two assets that you already own. So you've taken some equity out of those. That's then enabled you to buy what two, three, four more properties potentially. Yeah, just get, just get going. Yeah, yeah. And and so what what was the strategy? You're buying those buying well so you're getting those at a discount to true market value doing a bit yeah. of a renovation and then refinancing is that, yeah. is that what you're doing yeah. yeah that's what that's that's what that's what we've done a lot of yeah yeah but it's not easy and to be honest it's harder now but the barrier to entry at the minute i don't know where would you say it sits a bit higher than it was when i was doing it even just those couple of years ago I think that temporarily, temporarily. I, th I think that at the moment there's high expectations from vendors. In my experience, in the conversations yeah. that I'm having with people, you know, people want strong money for stuff. Um, yeah. But you know that, yeah, that can be a sign that the market might be changing. But let's let's see, right? Because no, exactly. I mean, none of us know. There's no point predicting it. Sure. If you're going to wait for the crash. Don't be a property investor. You can't catch a falling knife. Just hey, get on with it. 100%. I mean, last year, I, I remember I, I do some kind of financial analysis for for some guys that run a HMO training training program. So I used to come on as the as the as the mortgage guy and talk, you know, talk Savile's numbers, frankly, just run through some of their numbers. Um, and they they were predicting market contraction of I think it was 15 to 20 percent last year. And look at what happened. You know, it went up by 10, you know, so or 10 how, or 15. Yeah. How would you know? You don't at the minute. So you just got to buy right. Buy it for the long term as well. Don't try and get rich next year. Yeah. Okay. So so you went through that process. You, you used up your money. You you recycled that capital where you could, um, getting those turned around as quickly as possible. So you've retained all of all of those units. And then you bought in some investors to enable you to accelerate that process. Yeah. So obviously talking about what you're doing to people prick tears up and then they want to do it and they have a look at what you're doing because I've got the active projects in my hometown and yeah. it, it gives that confidence to, for them to then put their money into projects. 
Okay. So we can keep going. And, and in terms of your construction side, I'm assuming you went through plumbers, plasterers, builders till you found the right people that you, you know, you yeah, trust got, and can work with. Yeah, I've got a good team now. Yeah. I've got a couple of each, but I've got my main ones, really. Yeah. The only reason I've got other ones is because if I need something doing, I don't like to pressurise the good one. No, no, exactly. So you, you built up that team. So that core team is a kind of a key part of your of your proposition. Yeah, it was, um, it was then. I'm doing a bit of different stuff now, but it was then, yes, yeah, certainly. And I do still speak to them, all of them, on a weekly basis. Yeah, okay. So you, you, you've kept them busy. You've been fair with them, given them lots of work. So yeah. basically, if you shout, they'll probably push push somebody else out of the way. And, They're yeah. pretty good. They're, they are pretty good lads to be fair you know i can't fault them i hope none of them listen to this <laughs> um and, <laughs> and and so so from there you've you've you built built that core team of people you've built up a portfolio of 14 properties in the first year Where, where's it gone from there so we just done more stuff um like a bit of land development but bought, bought some land okay bought, bought an industrial estate and just a few bits and pieces like that now Trying okay. to get like the planning gain and things on stuff, which we got planning on something the other day. I'm just trying to do the bigger stuff, bigger stuff. Okay, and and in terms of because from a risk perspective, you potentially got a bigger concentration in larger assets. How yeah. do, how do you kind of flow, yeah yeah that don't cash flow while you put in the planning in? No, hundred percent. So how do you, how do you get around that? Well, I've, I've still got, I've got my buy-to-let safety blanket. It, like, cuddles me every month. <laughs> Tells me it's going to be okay, and then I can just risk bigger lumps in planning things and make some proper money. Okay, and and are you, I'm assuming, based upon the recent purchase, you are beginning to see what you describe as proper money. Yeah, it's been kind to me, these flipping stuff out. I never thought I'd be a seller of things, because... You know, you refinance them and refinance them, and then when you get older, you pay it down a little bit. And before you give it to your kids, you make sure it's maximum leverage, so they pay no tax, and off you go on your sun seeker. But yeah, the other stuff, selling selling some of this stuff's been quite good, to be fair. Flipping the sites out on option agreements and things like that. It's yeah. it's but it's it's that's it's hard, yeah. but made easier with the programs available these days. So what that by that you're ref referring to Nimbus Maps and other yeah. other bits of software, yeah. You know all the stuff that that, that we use. Yeah, yeah. You can okay. sit here and whip through a desktop jobby in five minutes, and you know I hear people say, "Oh, there's no point getting Nimbus. It's all on the internet anyway." Well, it is, but what I do in five minutes will take you an hour. How many hours have you got? Oh, 100%. And if you're if you're looking, I mean, as, as we've talked about finding value in a, in a site is, you know, it's needle in a haystack territory, isn't it? You've got to, yeah. you've got to be sifting through hundreds, if not thousands, to find potentially one which might not might not work. So, yeah, you've got to you've got to invest that time in these things to to get that to get to that individual one. And then, yeah, if you're lucky, it might it might come to something. I didn't even know till we spoke yesterday. That there was a site limit on Nimbus. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've 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 exploited that one, and they've restricted us on yeah lots of occasions. But yeah, two hundred sites a day. Apparently. Well, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if it is actually set to that, but yeah, there's there's a, there is a there is a there is an upward limit. So I mean, it, you know, if 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 the guys at Nimbus are going to listen, just leave my account how it is. I'm not hitting that. If I'm looking at two hundred sites a day. Something's gone wrong. <laughs> If I'm personally doing it, bloody hell. So yeah, so so let's let's talk about some of the toys that you picked up. I, I see from your social media exploits that you're on regular shooting trips down the gym in the morning, as as we talked about first thing, um, and yeah. and and in the hot tub as much as possible. So yeah, for, for, for re recuperation that is. It's, it's there's nothing more to it. <laughs> exactly, but but. You know, they're, they're the they're the kind of fruits of your labour, if you like. So you've you've sown the seeds of foundation. You've you know, frankly, worked your bollocks off to get where you've got to. Yeah. And you, you've built up a you know a nice cash flowing pool of assets, um, and and now you're doing some of the lit bigger bigger flip deals that throw out you know decent decent chunks of change when you get those get those across the line. Yeah. Um, so so what what does a you know what does a day in Mark Potter's life look like today? 
So today I've been been to the gym six. Um, done an hour of weights. Done kilometer in the pool. Okay. Been in the steam room. Had a nice bucket and been in the hot tub. That takes you up to about quarter to eight. And then I started doing some admin, which is what I always do anyway. Whether the kids are at school or not, or, or whatever, I try and get all the emails and all of the, the stuff fired out before half nine so that when people get to their desks, they have a look. They've got the morning to respond. Because as you know, when you're talking to solicitors and agents and things like that, it's a half day response time normally, isn't it? You know, you'll fire out an email. You can blast out 10 emails and then not have anything to do till you get a response. Yeah. So get all that done. And then today I'm going down to London. Started right. going to London quite a lot. Become okay. a member of some of the private clubs down there. Yeah. Uh, so frequenting London a lot more because as much as I didn't want to admit it at the beginning, like, oh no, not London. No. That is where it all happens. That is that is the, the the mecca, if you like, of where it all happens when you want to do this bigger stuff. And you get some institutional finance and a bit of a drawdown from someone or a bit of a more well, like higher net worth people to invest in your deals. Because we're not talking, you know, my buy selects around Leamington are half a mil and below, really. Mm. Not any more than that. No, one of them might might go half a mil and the bite of the kebab with the wind behind it but as a rule about about half the mill so that's quite you know it's not a lot of money when you look at some of the other stuff that we've been doing sure so you need you, you've got to get around get around the right people but at the right time yeah i mean the people that are zooming down to london having not done anything are going to get zoomed back up with the time between their legs aren't they pretty quickly yeah i wouldn't suggest firing down there as your first port of call yeah but once you've got a bit of an established business you know you can show that you've got a track record of doing these things i i agree i think you know fundamentally that's where you know the some of the bigger ticket you know there's, there's money everywhere right and i think that's yeah. that's the thing that you know that psychological shift from you know when when you're from a personal perspective you know feeling feeling things are tight you know, you're, you're forgetting that lots of people do have capital and, you know, yeah. they're, they're very accessible if you know how to approach them and, and do that in the right way. They're, yeah, no, completely agree, completely agree. I mean, you're the one to talk about the finance and capital raise and things out of the pair of us, really. But yeah, no, I agree completely. There is money everywhere. And if you're the right person and you're doing the right things, it... it, it you could take your pick. I don't know why people let the money boundary get in the way because I suppose it's an easy one to say. Oh, I haven't got the money. That's okay. If you've got the deal, someone will fund it. Exactly. But but it's a fear factor, isn't it? If you're you know feel feel that you're inexperienced in something, it's getting that confidence to be able to go and present what you're doing in in the right fashion, so that when yeah. somebody who has that money sees it, they they can tell immediately that you're deadly serious about doing the transaction. Yeah. You know what you're doing. You know you're not blagging because yeah. anyone can anyone can smell that from a mile off. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're, you're, you've got a structure and you've got a process and you you understand you know the, the the finer details of what you're proposing to do. And most importantly, you understand what the risks are and you can explain what the risks are and what the potential downside to an investment can be. Because if you can say that to somebody, they can then weigh it up in their minds. You know. Here's what happens if it all goes well. Here's what happens if it goes badly. And here's here's what happens if the world stops. You know, if you can show yeah. that to somebody, you're you're well on the way, aren't you? In my, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I do agree. It, it's, it is no harder than that. When people say, how do you raise finance, Mark? Like, you, you kind of don't, do you? It's not really what it's about. You go and build a relationship with someone and present them something. You don't really yeah. look at it as extracting their bank balance. It's like, look, you're... You're a sophisticated investor. Have a look at this. Yeah, and I think I think you've got to treat these people as partners, you know. And that's yeah, yeah it's it's, yeah. it's do, doing things with a view on that longer term. When you're meeting people, it's you know you can't expect someone to you know go and give you a check for a hundred grand the first time you meet them. But no. what you can do is you can sow the seeds of this is who I am, this is what I represent. Here's my business card. This is my branding. 
and and you know it'd be great to great to follow up and you you know you build that relationship from there it's you know you're not going to get quick wins from investors sometimes you will but most of the time it's you know it's it's, it's a slower business isn't it it's a slower game here's here's one for um the beginners that are going to listen to this i'm, I'm hoping you're going to agree with me Matt. but what do you think today you could raise easiest from your network a hundred grand or a million pound million pound yeah be difficult to get a hundred grand out of someone yeah bigger tickets tend to be tend to be easier yeah and, and, and actually it's the same amount of work to raise a million pound as it is is for a hundred grand because yeah. i'd almost argue it's less yeah yeah, because That's because you meet, immediately you're filtering people that have have bigger tickets, hundred percent. The one with the million probably wouldn't give you a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Because they would say that's too thin for the pair of us, and I don't think it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's just that, always an interesting one that I say to people. I'm like, what do you think's harder to raise? A hundred grand or a million? Oh, million! Like, <laughs> no. No, I'd, I'd, I'd be a bit on edge if I had to start trying to raise 100 grand. I think, oh, this is going to be an awkward one. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky, tricky stuff, raising money. But I'm sure we could go into a whole another hour about that. So that's not what we're here to do. So you, you, you've now got some of the toys. So you picked up your Lamborghini, what was it, six weeks ago? Is it six weeks ago? Has it gone that quick? Oh, yeah. maybe longer. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm trying to think. No, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. That was on the cards. That was coming. I put it off through lockdown. And I think some people thought that I was just blagging because they were like, have you got that car yet? So, no. Well, we're locked down again. And, you know, they kind of think you're not getting one. It's like, well, I am. But yeah. when I can go out in the damn thing, I don't want yeah. a driveway ornament. No, I know that feeling. Yeah, we've got we've got a little toy in our driveway, and we've hardly driven it over yeah. over two and a half years. So, um, so yeah. That, so, did how, how did you kind of f from a personal perspective? Was that something that you've always wanted in life, or you know, was it just the latest toy in the line of toys? Yeah, it's not so much of an always wanted in life job, it, it, and it's it some, sits in the middle somewhere, I think. Right. Okay. It sits in the middle somewhere. Um, my favourite car will always be my Range Rover. Yeah. If I had one car in the whole world, that'd be it. Right. So Range Rover Sport, yeah. All day long. Yeah. All day long. Or full fat Range Rover. Either or, you know, that's constantly full of shooting stuff, does everything. The Lambo, really, it's a bit of fun. It could go. If, yeah. if an investment came up and I needed the money, that's the first thing getting the chop. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. But it's nice to have, and it's there, and I do enjoy it. And my kids love it. There would be some tears if that car went. They think it's the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've set, you've set, you've set, the, set the bar quite high now, haven't you? So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They've already said what are we getting next, as they're pushing the toy ones around the room. You're like, yeah. So, so was that based upon an exit from a spe specific transaction, or how did that come around? Yeah, when I, I, I wanted to wait until we got um, out of this lockdown business. Yeah. You know, some might say we're not there yet, but it feels like we are. And the other was I wanted to wait until I got planning on a specific site. Right, okay. But then I actually just bought it before anyway, two weeks before, because it got delayed and I thought, oh, I'm going to miss the summer if I don't get it now. And we're out of lockdown, so I'll get it now. Yeah. Okay. But it'll, it'll go before Christmas. Really? Short yeah, and then, and then March next year, April, get another one. Aventador all this time or stick him in the hurricane? Well, uh, I got advised off an Aventador. I really like the Aventadors. One, because the doors traditionally go up. Yeah. Which every Lambo should do that. Mine don't. They go out and they go out about twice the length of the car as well. Yeah. They're a right pain in the arse. And two, because if, if you, an Aventador has got all of the technology the Hurricanes got off it that make it usable, stripped off of it, because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed yeah. to be the raw car. It's got all the mechanical stuff that clunks, you know, changs, it's uncomfortable, and all the rest of it. So they said to me, 
by all means get an event at all, but weren't the cabs smaller than right. that tiny hurricane? And two, he, he's like, you only use it more than three or four times a year, you're going to hate it. Yeah. So I took their advice and got the hurricane. It's all right. You can, you can, you can nip to the shops in it. A daily driver. I try not to use it as a daily driver because you can just watch the mileage going up and thinking, this isn't clever. No, those services are going to be expensive as well, aren't they? Oh, I know. You watch the little counter and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's going to. <laughs> so, so, so as much as yeah. having these, um, yeah, high ticket assets is is can be a good thing. It can be very expensive as well. So you're not just buying it and that's yeah, it. You know, you just, uh, you've got to be aware, haven't you? The running costs of them are horrendous, but just don't use them all the time. It is quite an enjoyable thing to get. I use it for events mainly. If I'm going to go somewhere, like I went to the polo at the weekend. The only events I can't use it for is shooting because you can't get a gun in it and it won't go across a field. Although I did take it across the field the other day. So that's a lie, but it wouldn't get around the shooting estate. Yeah, I think you want to be careful doing that because they're pretty low, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I went to it again. I had to bring it home and clean it. But I got caught. I needed to go to my site, which is rural. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to just go. Yeah. Okay, and and so so you're you're seeing the spoils of you know the hard some of the hard work that you've put in so far. What does the future yeah. hold for you? Um, and you know what what you get what what's the game plan for the next couple of years? Well, we're really going to go for it as from yesterday because the partner who I'm going to see uh, in London has just been cleared from cancer after his chemo treatment for the second time in his life. Wow, so. Okay. We've been, I've been a one-man team for most of this year, but now he's back, right. as from today. So bigger, bigger deals, more and bigger deals. Okay, cool. But this year's been a bit tough with that, but that's done now. Yeah, okay, well, that's good Good news. Glad to hear he's all right. And uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully onwards and upwards. So, yeah. so in, ter in terms of your routine, obviously, you know, what we're talking about now is kind of larger transactions that typically take more time to work through. From a psychological perspective, how do you maintain the focus on the end goal with those things? Because it's quite a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's difficult. Yeah, I think I think a good saying is, you know, be busy enough in property that you forget how slow it is. Right. So just have plenty going on. Yeah. And mix it up as well. You know, property is a people's business. So go and see some people. Take yeah. them shooting, take them for lunch. Go and see your agents. It doesn't all have to be um, desktop stuff. Mix sure. it up. Mix it up to give you that, you know. At the very beginning, you can go and take an agent for lunch, and that's nice. That's work, really. Yeah. So you don't have to be, you know, holding back on things like that. Find the balance. Don't just slug and slug and slug because you'll burn out and not do anything. And particularly when you're trying to get the wheels turning, because obviously, as, as we exactly. talked about, the, the transactions can take a long time. So yeah. therefore, getting getting that kind of pipeline of things lined up can be, yeah, it, it's hard at first, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is hard, but it's the easiest hard work you'll ever do once you get going. Yeah. You know, there's no money like property money, is there? If it's done right, it's such a good investment vehicle. But it's not going to happen overnight. No. It never will. And have a routine, for God's sake, in the morning. Whether yeah. that be, you know, you hear people speak of all sorts of things. I get up, I meditate, I get up, I read a book, or whatever. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules. And I'm not saying be the 5am club. If getting up at 5 doesn't work for you, don't do it but have some kind of start of the day, whatever time that is for you, routine that you stick to. Because mm. it just helps so much. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Any other top tips, any other books to read, any other quotes that inspire you? Yeah, definitely. 
definitely um definitely read some books but not too many again i made the mistake of doing that set myself a goal to do 52 books in a year i think i failed at 37 and then i don't really remember any of them but the year before that i probably did five or six that i remember yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but that <laughs> but we're all different right someone might be able to do i'm not really of a of that mind i'm more practical so someone might be able to do 52 books which you know, one, one a week didn't need explaining but do what works for you but have a routine and take in the information it's all there it, it, and is there a specific book that you'd recommend i don't know should i look through my library quickly now yeah go for it what did i what did i look through that was what did i read that was really good i suppose what, what have we got on here? Library, library, library. Which one was good? You know, you've got the power of now. You've got um, never split the difference is pretty good for yeah. negotiating. Yeah. Um, sell or be sold to. The Grant Cardone ones are good if you're susceptible to the rah-rah stuff, which... When you're feeling a bit low, I've done a couple of the Grant Cardone books, and when you've been like a bit like, mm, listen to one of them because it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It's like more, 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 more. And, you know, I'm not saying only listen to them. And then the other one, the Chimp Paradox, was good. Yeah, yeah. Tony Robbins's stuff's more stock market stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it depends which one. But I think. Yeah, I think I think the chimp paradox would be good. Yeah. The game, the game to throw a, a one in there that's not really business. Okay. Who's listened to who's, yeah, the game. Have you done the game before by Neil Strauss? No. It's about a pickup artist. So basically he just goes around pulling women, but um it's relevant because of all the psychology in it. Okay. Yeah, I, I like I like things that are slightly non-correlating, personally. Yeah. So, so the game by Neil Strauss. Get it, read that, and just bear with it. Don't stop halfway through because you're thinking this isn't relevant. Go and do the whole thing, and then you think, yeah, that is how people think. That is how people think. Okay. Cool. Um, so in terms of summarising, any closing remarks from your end? It's been really interesting to learn a little bit about your journey and perhaps we'll, we'll get you on, perhaps we'll get you on again to revisit things in, you know, six to 12 months time to see how, you know, how that kind of process of going through some of the larger sites has played out. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if you've got any closing remarks and also if you could tell us where we can find you in terms of socials and also your business website, that'd be great. Yeah. So it's... Um ernesthardy.co.uk for the company okay and then uh mark potter on facebook mark potter official on instagram instagram's where i'm most active um and then i've got a tiktok as well i'm not sure if i should admit that but i have that's just mark g potter that's quite good um but yeah mark potter official on instagram really Okay, cool. And any any closing remarks? Anything that if someone's thinking about getting into you know some investments or building a business, what what would be the one bit of advice that you would give them? Don't come this far to only go this far. There we go. What a closing remark. You're obviously remark. nearly ready to do something if you're listening to this, and this, and you found this. So crack on with it. Awesome, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I know you've got a busy day ahead. Driving, driving the Lambo down into London. So <laughs> I'll let you crack on, but I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay. Please like our podcast and subscribe today.